back in Christchurch, obviously, as, as Clint said, we lived here uh, six years ago. We moved to Napier. Um, Clint and Jamie worshipped with us for a little while before uh, they planted. And uh, last time I spoke at the Well Church, there was about 20 or 30 people. And so it's been pretty cool being here this morning. And also hello to all my old congregation that are here. It's so, it's so lovely, such a joy to have some of my uh, these saints who I love deeply here with us this morning. And um, just you've heard some of these stories before, guys. So just act like you haven't, if that would just really help me, help me out. Um, I love that you guys have been doing the series on, on a praying church. And if there's anything we need in New Zealand, it's praying churches. We need praying churches. And uh, I had the privilege last weekend of being in Melbourne for the 24-7 uh, conference uh, with Pete Gregg and a whole bunch of other guys, and it was really inspiring. And then I came back and I was uh, preparing uh, this talk, which is a, is a freshie for me, actually. Normally guest speakers do reheats, just tr- trick of the trade. Uh, but I, but uh, Clint was like, no, I'd like you to talk about uh, you know, what it looks like to build just a life of contending prayer. Uh, so I was listening to his message from last week, and it was so good. Uh, and then I was sort of thought I'll have it in the background as I sort of, you know, I just wound up having to take notes. I was like, this is really good. Uh, as good as all the stuff I've been hearing over the weekend from all these big guns. And uh, so I love that you guys have been talking about this. And I really loved what Clint was saying last week about the whole, uh, the whole idea that, that the name Israel means to be a people that contend. And I think there's something deep, deep in our bones, in our identity as God's people, that we are a contending people. We are the people that contend for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven, and it happens on our knees in prayer. And so it's such an important dynamic. So I want to encourage that. All I want to do is underline what you've already been exploring the last couple of weeks. Get my pom-poms out and say, go for it, go, go. Uh, But I I just want to say this before we dive in properly, is that I'm aware that that there'll be people this morning who have walked into church, and life is very, very tough for you at the moment. And you actually don't need a message on contending prayer. What you need is to know that you can rest and find refuge in Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, if you're going through tricky stuff and walking in here was an act of courage or you're going through a season of grief or disappointment or pain or suffering or whatever it may be and, and you're feeling it, just uh, can I just, uh, just say you're free this morning to ignore everything I'm about to say and just let God love you and let God minister his, his grace and his peace and his comfort to you. In Psalm 57 it says that we can, and, and all throughout the Psalms actually, but there's a whole, I like Psalm 57, have mercy on me for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Let God just, let God meet you this morning. Okay, uh, so feel free to tune out from now on if that's it and just let God meet with you. But I do, I do want to say we need, we need a, to, to cheer on contending prayer. And, and, and as you guys go through these seasons, the dream is that it isn't a season, it becomes a lifestyle of contending prayer, prayer for the lost, prayer for others, selfless prayers. Uh, there is a sense around the world that God is stirring and, and there is a fresh wind of the Spirit in the church uh, and, and God is meeting people as they get on their knees in a new way. But the reality is that this is the most contested place in the church. Without a doubt, the place of prayer is the most contested place. Both personally and corporately, it's contested. Massively. I think it's the number one place the devil's gone after is the place of prayer. Uh, in particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, the place of personal prayer, Right? You know, uh, I'm 42, uh, so I'm Gen X or something. What am I, Clint? You're a PhD. 
somewhere in there. Um, but Gen Y and younger, basically, my observation is that, that it's like almost no one's got a quiet time going on anymore. And like when my parents, the boomers generation, and like whenever they got, came to faith, it was like, what do you do next? We well, have a quiet time. That's what you do if you're Christian. Well, how do you do that? You read your Bible, you do some prayers, blah, blah, and they'll do it. <laughs> So uh, it's scary for me. I'm like, we've got to hit the crisis thing. It's a red button, emergency alerts. You know, like we are in a crisis in the church when it comes to how contested the personal space of prayer is. And secondly, we're in a place of crisis when it comes to corporate prayer. Like if we truly believe that God hears and answers prayer, then we will be in the prayer meeting. If, If it's on our knees that we see his kingdom come, then that'll be a packed out meeting. So we're going to unpack all of that stuff. But it was interesting at the start of this year, uh, we went through the cyclone uh, in Hawke's Bay. Yay! <laughs> it's like, honestly, all my mates were like, bro, wherever you move next, we're not going there because like just the natural disasters follow you. You know, we're in here, Christchurch of the earthquakes, we got the other cyclone, you know, it would go somewhere else to be a plague of some description. So it's like, we're just, so we turned up and it was like, oh man, I can't believe we're in the space again. And do you want to just put up that slide? Um, I mean, and again, how familiar does this look to any of our eastern suburbs folks? Like here we are again, shovels out, shoveling stuff uh, after a natural disaster. So it was really, I found it quite tough actually because it, it really brought up all the emotions of the Christchurch earthquake. It was different, thank God, because there weren't the aftershocks. That was brutal. I mean, I forgot, I, you know, brought back all the memories. I forgot how brutal that was, right? You know, where it's like an after, and you, and you don't know how big it's going to get. Remember that? And your adrenal glands are squeezed to oblivion, and it's so intense. So was that, was, that dynamic wasn't there, which I was grateful for. But it brought back a lot of memories. And, and I was really proud of the church, because once more the church in the Hawke's Bay rolled up its sleeves and, and just did what Jesus would do in that space. They got out there, they shoveled, they cared for people who have set up out of the, earth, you know, the, the, out of the cyclone. Um, you know, all ministries have been birthed in our church uh, to care for people and housing things and all sorts. Beautiful. I was just, again, really proud of the church uh, in terms of how it responded. But I had this moment, though, because it felt a little bit like a prophetic picture of the world in which we live, you know, with all these swirling ideologies around us and, uh, and a lot of discouragement and scandal in the church. And it's like we're kind of in this, it feels like a little bit of a disaster zone at times in the church these days. And I, and I felt as I was praying during this time, I, I felt God as clearly as I've ever heard him, where I felt like he gently said, it was gentle, he gently said to me, Sam, the tragedy is that you think that you can do more for the kingdom of God in this region with a shovel than you can do on your knees in prayer. And I just felt really convicted. And it's like, what's happened to us as a church? Because this is right, this is appropriate, but I think we've become agnostic around the power of prayer to see God's kingdom come. There's something broken when we think we can do more with the shovel than we can do on our knees for a region that's desperately in need of God's kingdom to come. And, and as God said that to me, it wasn't an angry thing. It, wasn't a, it was just a sadness that we've lost something here. But that's been restored. Hallelujah. And that's why you guys doing this praying, this series of praying church is key at this time in New Zealand history. We need churches to show the rest of the churches in New Zealand that you can build a culture of prayer, that we can have strong personal and corporate lives of prayer, and through that we can see God answer prayer. And I'm going to tell you some stories this morning around that. Did you guys do your homework? Who did the homework? Remember, you had to read the book of Acts and note where the prayer meetings were happening and everyone did the homework? 
I listened to the sermon. <laughs> Me and Clint may have to go out for a therapy bear after this if you haven't done your homework because you'll be very discouraged. You should do it. He's right. The book of Acts is a commentary between prayer meetings. Love it. But why is that the case? Well, it's interesting because Luke wrote the book of Acts. Same dude that wrote the book of Luke, very humbly called after himself, the Gospel of Luke. And it's like Luke Acts, right? And so if you go through your homework, just doubled. For those that didn't do it, you've got more homework now. So naughty, naughty. Now what you have to do is go through the book of Luke and the book of Acts and note where Jesus prays in the book of Luke and where the church prays in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts pray because they saw that Jesus was a man of prayer. And before any major moment of ministry or out of any exhausting situation, he was constantly going to that place, the secret place, the place of prayer. He was getting on his knees. And so as disciples of Jesus, as the body of Christ, we simply imitate what he did. And if Jesus prayed, then we, the church, are going to be a praying people. And so that's where the power lies. I'm over. Guys, I've been in ministry for 20 years. I grew up as a vicar's kid. I've swum in the church for 42 years. And I'm tired of the focus just being on programs and on production values and on all this sort of stuff. I'm like, what if we became people that hungered after his presence? Presence is where the change happens. You came to faith not because of some snazzy program. You came to faith because you encountered the presence of a loving God. We long to be a people, and that happens when the church gets on its knees. If my people would humble themselves and pray. It's if. It's not when. It's if. Oh, Lord, would we be a people in the midst of a proud culture that get on their knees and pray. It's interesting that when Jesus gave us the prayer, which you've been praying in the mornings, I hope, the Lord's Prayer. Fascinating moment. Do you want to go to that slide with that? Um, Interesting that the disciples come to him and the disciples had grown up in the Israelite culture and the Jewish culture and that was a praying culture, right? So they grew up in a culture of prayer, very unlike ours. But even then when they saw Jesus praying, there was something so potent about his prayer life that they're like, dude, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, oh, it was great. Well, thank you for asking. Well, when you pray, just shoot from the hip and let the Spirit of God lead you in terms of whatever vibes you're feeling at the time. He didn't say that, did he? when you pray, this is how you pray. And he gave them a set prayer, liturgical prayer. And it's a helpful prayer because it moves us beyond ourself to praying the heart of God. And to build a life of contending prayer, we've got to be moved beyond selfish prayers. Because if you just shoot from the hip all the time, anxious people pray anxious prayers. And fearful people pray fearful prayers. And greedy people pray greedy prayers. And most of us don't pray that much at all. So having a set set of set prayers is helpful. I grew up in the Anglican Church. I was very happy when I went to Bible college because I was like, yeah, you don't have to go to the Anglican Church anymore because I was like, liturgy is boring. Liturgy is dead. And then I realized as I grew a brain that that is a dumb category to put liturgy into. Set prayers cannot be dead or alive. It's simply impossible. The category that liturgy and set prayers can live in is either true or false. That's the category they can live. Prayers are either true, these sort of prayers are either true or false. Now the person praying them, whether they're dead or alive, that's a whole different proposition. In Acts 2 verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to fellowship, breaking of bread, apostle teaching, and to the prayers. It doesn't say prayer. If you look in the NIV, it'll say prayer. Poor translation, look at the NRSV or look at the original Greek. There's a definitive article before the word prayer. It says the prayers. Now that's fascinating to me because if I say to you, church, devote yourself to pray, to prayer. Well, I'm going to do my best. If I say devote yourself to the prayers, next logical question is, what prayers? 
Well, there's a whole lot of prayers in this book that we can pray that are wiser and deeper and richer than anything you can do when you shoot from the hip. Over 2,000 years, the church has crafted and formed prayers that are wiser and richer and deeper and more selfless than anything I can pray. And so I have decided that I'm going to humble myself and push against a radical individualization. Well, that was a mouthful. (laughs) Say that five times fast. And privatization of the Christian faith. And I'm going to pray the prayers of the church to help shape my prayer life. And has been transformative in my prayer life as a, an alive person has prayed truth that is just so rich and, and anchored in the scriptures. And so this helps orientate my prayer life to, to be more selfless. But here's three things I want to suggest you can do if you want to embody a life of contending prayer in a very laissez faire, chilled out church, Western church culture. We need people that step up to the plate and and live lives of contending prayer for others. So here's three ways you can do that, practical ways that you can do this. Now, the reason they're very practical is this, that there has been a lie in the, in the Western church that's gone into our psyche that says information will lead to transformation. So we, we, we love the podcasts, and we love listening to good teaching. You've got a blinking PhD as your lead pastor. That's unreal. Paul Bay Vineyard have to deal with a bachelor. Most churches, they're lucky if they've got a diploma. It's like... So, but we, and we love good teaching, but resonance doesn't equal obedience, does it? It's so easy to resonate with good teaching, but it doesn't change our lives. So information doesn't lead to transformation. It's super helpful because it can bring revelation, which is what it's meant to do. But Jesus was explicit at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the great manifesto of the kingdom of God. He told a little story that we tell our children in Sunday school, but we've forgotten about, which simply says this. Jesus talks about the building your life on the sand or the rock, blah, blah. But what's the key message? It's those that hear my words and do them are the people that build their house on the life on their rock. It's the application that leads to transform lives. It's the application that leads to transformation. So I'm going to give you the three things you can apply to your life if you want to live a life of contending prayer for others. And if you apply these to your life, your life will be different. And I want to say, oh, that's a good point, eh? <laughs> Amen. And I say this not, I'm here to inspire you and provoke you and all the rest of it, but it's like, <laughs> but, but don't let your feelings dictate whether you're going to live a life of contending prayer. Just choose to do it. Walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes your emotions and your senses aren't with you, but you choose to do it anyway. That's called maturity. So here's three things, just do them and you'll be living a life of contending prayer. So the first thing is this, is to fight for the personal, your personal life of prayer. Fight, fight for that secret place. Fight for it. Like, as I said earlier, man, Jen, why and younger, like we, we live in a world where we have a multi-billion dollar principality and power in your pockets there to distract you. And as Ronald Rollheiser, the wonderful Catholic theologian, said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. So we need a fight for our, the personal life of prayer. We, we need to make quiet times normal again. It's, it's normal, to, but you've got to fight for it. You know, the screw tape letters, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this really interesting book, which you haven't read, it's really cool. And, and it's basically like a senior demon mentoring a junior demon. And, uh, and they're talking about how they can mess up the lives of Christians. And I reckon if C.S. Lewis was writing the screw tape letters today, he would totally have a, tra- a chapter on distraction. 
about, you know what we've got to do, Junior Devil? We've got to, we've got to distract these Christians so that they don't spend any time with that guy. Because they spend time with that guy, man, it's dynamite. So we've got to do everything we can to stop them hanging out with him. Well, what should we do? I know, how about we give them a little device and, we'll, and they can live in their pocket even. And at any point they can pull it out, even on the toilet. And they, can, and they can look at things that will entertain them and distract them so that they don't spend time with that guy. And in 2007, this thing got introduced into the world. And, and it is a principality and power. I'm not saying that it's evil, I've got one right here. Of course, it can be used for good, I'm grateful for it. I'm going to listen to a few podcasts on the way home that are going to help my Christian faith, blah, blah, blah. But, but we live in a world of distraction. And so we've got to fight for the secret place. And, we, and, and it's like beyond a Sunday, that Monday morning would reflect a heart that's seeking after God. And Tuesday morning would reflect a heart that's seeking after God. And we've gone after this tooth and nail at our church up in, in, in Napier. I thank God it's not Auckland, Napier. Um, and, and, uh, and, and we have seen the most dramatic change in the lives of the average Christian, inverted commas, young men and women with young families and busy lives and jobs and all the rest of it. And, and they've fought and they've gone after the secret place and their lives have utterly been changed as they've, they've made that the priority of their life. And, and listen to God's heart throughout the scriptures uh, about hearts and lives that press in. I mean, in 2 Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Seek his will in all that you do. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Although, like, blessed is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. You know, I say, ask and you seek and you'll find. Seek first the kingdom. Like God's heart is for, for people that seek him and that contend for him and that long for him and that fight for the secret place. And so if, if you are slightly older than me, then go deeper. It's like your, your prayer life isn't meant to be the same all your life. You're meant to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of God. It gets addicting. Go for it. And if this is a mission for you, this morning can I implore you to fight for the secret place? To fight for the, but, but it gets worse. Here we go. That's just step one. Step two is that in the secret place, don't just pray selfish prayers. Pray kingdom-orientated prayers. Pray prayers for those that know, don't know Jesus just like you've been doing through this season. Make it a lifestyle of praying for others. I got really convicted a number of years ago. I was like, man, you know, I've been using set prayers and I've been fighting for my life of prayer. But again, I just was like, man, I don't have rhythms or structures in my life that can see me consistently pray for others in a, in a kind of structured way. And I know I'm talking a lot about structure and everyone's like, oh no, we've got some type A discipline guy that's turned up to give us a motivational talk my life so that an absolute dumpster fire, I'm a mess, I'm really under... No, that's me. I'm the, I'm the loose, I'm terrible. I mean, Clint, Clint, honestly, like every time I talk about my weekly rhythms, Clint's always like, it's so weird to me, you're so passionate about your weekly rhythms, you're not that guy. And I'm like, it's because I'm not that guy, I've got to fight for it so that I can be mature in Christ. Like, God's not glorified in chaos and dysfunction. So I've fought to get these disciplines in my life, even though by nature I'm not that guy. And then, as I say, I felt challenged to begin praying more selfless prayers. So I, I just wrote a list at the back of my uh, journal inspired by Beth Moore. Next slide, please. Um, she, she had this list of, and so two, sometimes three times a week, I'm like, no, I'm just going to pray through these things. I'm not praying for ages, but I want to pray for my family and my wife and my kids. And when I began doing it, I was like, sheesh, this is like, this should, any dad should be doing this, right? And I was really challenged and convicted about the fact that I've only been praying for my kids when they were in real pickle. 
I'm like, that's not good enough. I want to pray blessing and life and hope and just bring God's presence over them on the regular. I want to pray for my wife, you know, and, and just pray you anoint her cooking because there's some things there that we just got to work on. We've got to pray for my extended family. I'll work through this quickly. You know, friends, I was like, I just want to pray blessing. And I do. A number of times I pray blessing over Clint, blessing over this church. I want to pray for these people I track with. And uh, the sickle grieving as a pastor, there's just a, I've got, that's a fairly long list. And I just pray for these people in our church and I lift them to the Lord. And then to begin to get concentric circles out, just begin to pray for my church and the church and pray for mission and pray for the lost. And now obviously I'm praying for 24-7 prayer. And then lastly, to do the meta thing, I want to pray for this nation and I want to pray for, the Bible exhorts us to pray for those in authority. And I've been very convicted about how little I've done that over my life as a Christian. So I want some place where in a very polarized and politicized world, I'm praying wisdom and blessing and insight and discernment over our leaders of this nation and over our local council and blah, blah, blah. And it's been good for my heart to do that. So uh, I want to say fight for the secret place. Fight for it for two reasons. Number one, because that's where we discover the presence of God that gives us that fire in our eyes that we're called to have as followers of Jesus. I, I can speak like, you know, as Clint said, I'm a kind of, I get fired up and passionate but I, I, I've got, I feel like I've got some authority now to commend and, and, and urge the church to live a passionate life because I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years without a sabbatical. And if this guy can stay passionate for Jesus, then you can too. I've gone through all the things that rob us of, of passion. I swim in a world that dulls our, our passion for God. I get it. And, I, and, I, and I've done it by digging my own wells. And Mark Sayers wrote a brilliant book called The Reappearing Church. And in it, he says, revival. Now, that's going to trigger some people. But I believe in spiritual awakening, renewal. Whatever language you want to use, I don't care. But there is a God who loves to, to bring seasons of renewal to the church. So renewal or revival or spiritual awakening, this is his definition. It's when personal renewal starts going viral. Now, I like that because rather than some silver bullet that we pray for, that God does all the things that we're too lazy to do, I want to embody renewal. I want to come alive and so alive I can't help but brag about Jesus so that starts going viral. And that's my prayer consistently in our prayer meetings. Lord, would you set us, X marks the spot, begin with me, that I would be carrying the presence and, and, and the love of God and that would start going viral. And Lord, would in our church, people's private worlds with you be so strong that they can't help but carry the presence of God wherever they go and it will go viral. So we do it because we are, are the people of his presence, not just on a Sunday, but every day. And secondly, we do this because we want to pray prayers, contending prayers, because we believe that God hears and answers prayer. So the first, it gets worse. The first thing, so fight for your, your private will with Jesus. You ready? It's going to get worse. You ready, everyone? Incorporate fasting. Oh, no. Now, trust me, I don't preach this with any enthusiasm. I, I, I'm, if I'm passionate about anything, it's prayer and feasting. Honestly, prayer and fasting, I'm like, no. And I'm very good at prayer and feasting. I've got a black belt in prayer and feasting, baby. Like, I'm good at that. Prayer and fasting, oh, man, what a mission. But nothing in my experience, embodies passion like fasting. Like if you're fasting, then man, then Jesus is a priority, massive priority. Nothing embodies contending like fasting. And we've got to again normalize passion in the church again. Like this, fasting isn't for extremos, it's actually normal Christianity. 
It's only in recent history that that's fallen off the radar in terms of just a weekly rhythm for people. We're in a Wesleyan Methodist church right now, friends, and Wesley would not ordain anyone who wasn't regularly fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays as just a habit. But it was just normal Christianity. And so uh, out of my personal devotional life and out of a passion for Jesus for the secret place, this hunger has grown to the point where this is in my life now. Uh, whereas a, a day, a week, where I'm like, I'm gonna, I, I want to live a life of contending prayer for our region. I, and fasting embodies that hunger for God more than all the other things. It's costly, it's painful, I hate it. <laughs> I love Sabbath, pleasure stacking and all the rest of it. And I, I'm all over the feasting on Sabbath. Let's have it. But I love it. It gives a lot of color to my week, a day of fasting and then a day of feasting. And rather than just being all just decadent boringness, which is so much of our Western life. Uh, and so... You know, me and, me and Clint went to the States, we had an epic trip to Portland, um, and it was such a massively important trip for us in so many ways, really healing and all the rest of it. And uh, we went to this American football game, this, this college football game, this university, right? So it's just like University of Canterbury, football, like American football game. And, and it was a preseason game. So it means nothing. Like, who goes to a Crusaders preseason game? Like, a few Harry Hardouts, right? But it's like, at this preseason college football game, there were 80,000 people in the stadium. And they've been there all day tailgating and drinking and barbecuing and all the rest of it. And then they turn up and the game, American football games go for hours and they have the marching band going. And the crowd went bananas with chants and cheering and all the rest of it for hours. And I was like, this is mental. And I hadn't been to the States before properly. I'd gone through LA a few times, but I'd never gone to the States and actually gone and, and been participated in American culture. And it struck me how passionate they are. It was just really jarring because I've been to All Blacks games that feel like funerals. It's just here in Christchurch, there's a few of them. Like, I remember this is quiet. It was just like you could hear a cough. <coughs> you know, I was just like, this is our national team. I thought, well, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> And I was there, and it, and it was interesting because, I did, again, I felt the Lord clearly say to me, like, the gospel comes in to any culture, and there are parts of that culture that are broken and it will challenge. There are parts of that culture that are just indifferent, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And there are parts of the culture that are drenched in what the kingdom culture is like, and it's celebrated. The gospel calls it out even further. And there's a lot you can critique about American culture, but I tell you what, the fact that it's a passionate culture is reflective of the kingdom of God, which is a passionate culture. Like God so loved us, he gave us his son. What's Jesus' death on the cross called in the Catholic Church? The passion of the Christ. For God so loved us, it's out of passion for us. So we step into, into the church and it's like, this is actually meant to be a group of passionate people who embody passion, who don't just think about it. You don't learn karate by listening to a podcast, right? So you just got to actually practice karate to get good at karate. You want to get good at following Jesus, you've got to practice the way of Jesus. You do these sort of spiritual disciplines and it turns you into a person who's passionate. The best people are passionate people. But you love hanging out with passionate people, right? I've got a mate who's passionate about modular synthesizers. These little boxes, they plug things into and make weird noises. And like, it's boring to me, but he's fired up. He lights up any little window to talk about modular synthesizers. He takes that little opportunity. And to be honest, when he talks about modular synthesizers, I start getting into it. I'm like, really? Ooh, wow. You know, because he's just so... We 
follow the King of kings, the Lord of lords, creator of the universe, the holy God. He's good, he's kind, he's filled with love and joy and peace. And we're part of a kingdom that's filled with love, joy and peace. Surely there's something to be passionate about. And how do we see the kingdom of God come? By fighting in our personal life, by, uh, for a life of prayer and praying, contending prayers for others because we believe that God hears and answers prayer. And secondly, we start doing things like crazy things like fasting on the regular because we're like, Lord, I want to live a life of contending prayer for others. And so that's the first thing is, is build, fight for your personal life of prayer. Secondly, get a fast in the mix. I reckon it's good to have a, a, some sort of weekly rhythm and then once a year you do something stupid. Why not? Like when at what point will you live passionately for Jesus? At what point does it begin? Like, don't wait. I, I did a long fast, and Clint's done two massive ones. Uh, like, I didn't do them because I got inspired by some snazzy preacher. I, got, I just did it because I was like, stuff it. At what point am I actually going to live passionately and radically for Jesus? And as Zach de la Rocha said from Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> I love quoting him, it has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? And then, he says, all hell can't stop us now. It's just this prophetic moment in one of Rage Against the Machine's great songs. <laughs> At what point will you just go, I'm in? Like, I'm tired of having to get revved up in a conference to live passionately for Jesus. I just want to live a life passionate for Jesus. I'm tired of just seasons of passion for Jesus. I want a lifestyle that's passionate for Jesus. And do I feel like doing it a lot of the time? No but I choose to do it anyway because passion isn't about what I feel. Passionate is about where I'm present. I choose to go to the prayer meeting. I choose to do the fast. I choose to march upstairs to get my coffee early in the morning to have my devotional time. I do not feel like doing any of it. But there's something that happens when I crack through into his presence and I, and I pray and live a more selfless life that reflects the way of Jesus who lived the cruciform selfless way of God. Lastly, turn up to the prayer meeting. Turn up to the prayer meeting. Honestly, turn up, the first of every month, turn up to the prayer meeting. This new 7 a.m. on Wednesday, turn up to the prayer meeting. Now I'm going to dish out a conviction burger. Here we go. Be prepared. I've warned you. Brace yourselves. I heard this earlier this year, and it messed me up. The guy, this preacher said this. He said, you can tell how popular the preacher is by who comes to church. You can tell how popular, how popular Jesus is by who turns up to the prayer meeting. Feel the burn. It's a good burn. I'm like, if God is the God who hears and answers prayer, two chronicles is true. If my people who humble them, if my people humble themselves, if they humble themselves, pray, seek my face, then I'll hear. If that, all that's true, if Jesus' lifestyle is what we should be embodying, if Acts is, is true, then the prayer meeting's not just one of the things we do, it's the most important meeting in our church diary. And we need to reorder the priorities of our lives to get to the prayer meeting, to turn up to that place, to pray selfless, contending prayers for God to pour out his spirit here in this church and in this region for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. It's in that place, that corporate place of prayer. It's a vital engine room of the church. And friends, in the church in New Zealand, we've got to restore the engine room of the church that we'd be a praying church again. You know, Asbury, there's a move of God at the beginning of this year in Asbury uh, University. Clint got his, his PhD through Asbury Seminary, which is a slightly different thing, but um, man, 
it was so encouraging. And as you dive into it, it's like, man, this is beautiful because for 200 years, universities are praying, and Asbury has been one of them. Lord, would you pour out your spirit on our students? 200 years of collegiate prayer. Like, what an encouragement that God is the God who hears and answers prayer. And I turn up to our prayer meeting. We have, we have lots of prayer meetings now, but we, and we have three. We'll have two this, after, uh, this afternoon, evening in our church. Uh, and I turn up to those because I'm like, even if my prayers aren't answered in my lifetime, I want to be one of those people that got on their knees because any move of God, any spiritual awakening was always preceded by contending and travailing prayer. So I'm going to spend the second half of my life at the prayer meeting as a priority of my life. I'm exhausted Sunday afternoon. I turn up to the prayer meeting. I turn up to the prayer meeting. It's going to be a priority of my life. The second thing that Asbury did is that it was for Gen Z and younger. And, and God is wanting to put on uh, mothers and fathers of the faith in this room a, a, a sense, of, a, a, a burden of prayer for the generation growing up for our kids. Uh, this was about what God did in that generation. It wasn't about celebrity. It wasn't about great worship. It was, you know, we know a guy that went along to it. He's like, it could have done with a little more hype, man. It was pretty. But I love that that's where God turned up. And the ordinary and the simple, I'm so over all the snazzy stuff. I want his presence. I don't care how, I just hungry hearts after him. And there's a generation growing up in a crazy world, and I want to be praying for them on the regular. And so we have a standing line item in our corporate prayer meeting where we're going to pray for the next generation. We're going to pray for our children. That can look lots of different ways. But turn up to the prayer meeting. We need to move. We've, the tragedy is that we've outsourced contending prayer to some faithful intercessors that will always turn up. And that is not meant to be the case. We are meant to be people who, like, who embody the Israel spirit of contending prayer. I'm not an intercessor by, by gifting. I'm a Kiwi bloke who believes in the power of prayer. I'm going to turn up to the prayer meeting and pray my best prayers. And even if you're rubbish at praying out loud, you turn up to the prayer meeting and pray your quiet prayers. Turn up to the corporate prayer meeting that we would be a house of prayer for all nations again. We've got it in New Zealand, friends. We need churches that take this word or take the challenge seriously. I finish with this. I believe that God hears and answers prayer, partly because of the legacy that I'm living in in terms of answered prayer. You've heard the story, Beaches, but hang in there. Just pretend you're interested. So my, um, my grandfather uh, was a godly man. I've got a picture of him here in his younger years, and then when he was a bit older. I love that picture on the right. That's my mum reading the Bible to him. In, my, in the older years, my grandfather lost his eyesight, but he was a man of God. He was a man of God. I want to be him desperately when I grow up one day. Just a godly, godly man. And he, just, he loved the Bible. He loved reading the Word of God. It was, like, it was like bread for his soul. And then when he lost his eyesight, the best thing you could do to treat Pop was to read the Bible when you visited him. And he'll do this when you read the Bible. He'll just be like... He, it was, he could just see it just nourishing him. But Pop hadn't had an easy life. He, uh, he came to faith in World War II in the, uh, in the fields of, um, of Greece, the olive fields of Greece. And uh, after his best friend had been killed, he, um, he knelt down and gave his life to Jesus. He returned from World War II, uh, had, uh, got married, had his kids, and his wife uh, took her life after suffering from postnatal depression after the birth of the third son, my uncle. He'd gone through a lot of pain. I can't imagine the horrors of World War II followed by that. He was never in ministry. He worked as an accountant uh, at a car yard in Wellington. He was known as a man of incredible integrity. Um, and I discovered that my grandfather had a, a little journal 
Uh, and when he came back from the war, he wrote down everyone in his family that wasn't a Christian, and it was everyone. Everyone, extended family, the whole list there. And he just committed to praying daily that these people would come to faith. Now, family were wild, man. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Crazy. Praise every day. And over the years, slowly lines start to go through names as people came to faith. And every single person except for great Auntie Patsy, who was tough, smoked like a chimney. <laughs> That's between God and our great Auntie Patsy. Who knows? I don't know. We don't know for sure what happened with her. But every single other person in our family has come to faith. And a whole, I'm standing here in that, in the, as an answer to contending prayer. And was it, it's very easy to say that in a couple of minutes in a sermon. It's very different to live that day in, day out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, to contend in prayer that God would hear and answer prayer. But he does. It may not happen overnight, as Rachel Hunter said, but it will happen. He's the God that hears and answers prayer. And so, friends, we have got to kick our agnosticism in prayer up the flipping butt and, 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 and get a conviction in our bones that God hears. If God hears and answers prayer, we will be at that prayer meeting. We've got to get that conviction in our bones. And, friends, then we've got to just watch what God loves to do. He, like, what will happen through this church if you genuinely take up the challenge to, to not just live selfless, self-centered, consumeristic lives like everyone else lives, but to live selfless lives of contending prayer. What will happen over the coming decades will be just an extraordinary story of God's kingdom breaking in to Christchurch as it is in heaven, to the lives of your family as it is in heaven, and on we go. It begins on our knees. And so uh, I want to exhort you this morning to... to like I've, I've wrestled with unanswered prayer. I've wrestled, point, I've wrestled with disappointment with God. Pete Gregg, the founder, the bewildered founder of 24-7 Prayer Movement, has written a whole book called God on Mute. So I'm not negating any of that, but where else can we go? He has the words of eternal life. And I've got things in the mystery box for sure as to why prayers haven't got answered, but at the end of the day, I've come to this conviction that it's through prayer that we see, as we see God do all the things. <laughs> as we humble ourselves and say, it's not about how good we are and how snazzy our program is, it's your presence that we long for. So I want to invite you this morning to, to stand and I want to just invite the Spirit of God just to come and fill us afresh with passion for his name and that we would just, in a sense, resolve this morning to be a people that contend in prayer. So let's, uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. You know, St. Augustine famously said, prayed this prayer, Lord, put salt on my lips that I would thirst for you. I love that prayer because <laughs> God himself Sometimes it's like we just feel a bit lethargic and a bit whatever. God himself can stir up that fresh passion. He can, like, he can put salt in our lips and then satisfy the thirst that results. So I think we've got to stir ourselves up a bit sometimes. I think we, get, we, 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 we walk through the sludge of consumerism. You're going to see 10,000 advertisements today. You've got to shake the tree every now and then. So I'm going to live a life of contending prayer for others. And who cares if you've been rubbish Christian for the last couple of years? Whatever. <laughs> just dissolve today. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to choose to do that. Uh, and so let's just open our hearts this morning to God to come and, and just uh, fill us with a fresh passion for Him. And that this whole series of being a praying church wouldn't be a season, but it would be a fundamental shift in the life of this church where it becomes a deeply embedded lifestyle here that this is a praying church. I'm looking forward to bragging about what God does 
in the Well Church, wearing my 24-7 hat as I travel around the country. I really am, because I sense there's this, this, this thing bubbling up. So just with your body, would you just express an openness to God this morning? And Holy Spirit, as we do that, we just say we need you. So, so just we pray the ancient prayer, come Holy Spirit. And I don't pray that over people. I invite you, church, this morning to pray that yourself. Come Holy Spirit, fill me with the fire of heaven. May it rest on me afresh. And just let God come and fill you with His life and His power and His goodness. Let Him fill you with His presence afresh this morning. The presence of joy, the presence of peace, the presence of love. Let His power rest on us. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We welcome you in this place. You're welcome in our lives. Come and flow. Come and wash over us. Even as around the world there's a sense of a restoring, a renewal, a reawakening in the church. Lord, just we want to be part of that story. So Lord, begin with us this morning. Begin with me this morning. Lord, fill me, Lord, with your presence. Let's just wait on Him. Come, Holy Spirit.